Are we overreacting to Kwesi's first draft? Just how insane is Brian Flores and will the Taylor Swift tsunami drown U.S. Bank Stadium? It's Twitter Tuesday on the Lockdown Vikings podcast. You liked it on three, one, two, three. You, liked it! you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Locked on Vikings podcast, where we try to learn something new each and every day. I am your host, Luke Braun, and thank you so much for those of you who listen to this show every single day. My hashtag everydayers, I love hearing from you. You can find this show wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it is uh, the SiriusXM app or anywhere you listen to podcasts, but you can go to SiriusXM and listen to all Vikings games live. You can even get the home broadcasts out of state there. Uh, you can find all of that there. You can also find this show on Amazon Fire and Roku or just YouTube uh, and Today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off of your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Today's Twitter Tuesday. That means I'm answering your questions. You can send me those questions anytime at LukeBronNFL or at LockedOnVikings on Twitter. You can send an email to LockedOnVikingsPodcast at gmail.com. You can leave a YouTube comment, or you can fill out the Google form in the show notes if you have something a little more long form. I appreciate it all. The first question that I am going to answer today is a long one from Nate Walton, who asks, I've been hearing a lot of people saying Kwesi's first draft was a failure. It's mostly centered around Lewis Seen and Andrew Booth not being starters right now. Also, when in evaluating the Seen and Booth picks, how much input did Donatell and Mike Pettin have in selecting those two? And on the other hand, Caleb Evans, Brian Asamoah, Ed Ingram, in comparison to Dozier, Drew Simeon, and the other patchwork guards, are contributors. Am I being too lenient? Um... Maybe you're being too lenient, but not by a lot if you are. Uh, so here's here's where I'm at on that. I, I think that you're on the right track, Nate, in terms of when if you're going to evaluate a draft, and especially if you're going to evaluate a GM and his ability to draft, you cannot cut that evaluation off after the first two picks he ever makes. And I think some people have done that without really realizing that they've done that. So if we're going to ask the question, is Kwesi Adolfo Mensa a good drafter? For one, we probably cannot have a good answer to that question for at least two more years, right? Um, that's just the way it goes with GMs. We can't really know until we get a much bigger sample and a lot of those guys have time to develop. I mean, look, sometimes, guys, I think of like Mackenzie Alexander, right? He was a an utter catastrophe that shouldn't have, couldn't have, see the, like was banished for the first two years of his career. And then year three, he came in, did pretty well, and he actually managed to carve himself out a reasonable career as a starting cornerback. Um, he was more successful than say Mike Hughes, who actually got off to kind of a hot start, got a pick six in his first game and then sort of fell, uh, fell away for me by year three, you know, about a guy think about, you know, the, the guys we have that are in year three. Now, those are the 2021 picks. We know how good Christian Darasaw is like that. We know that was a, a hit, a little less ambiguity around those guys versus somebody who, you know, is only in their second year and we haven't really seen a lot from them yet. Um, so I think the correct answer is always going to be too early to have a reasonable opinion. But if you want to say, ah, eh, F that I, I, we've got these and I want to be mad at, about them. Um, I think you also bring up a decent point about, you know, Hey, Caleb Evans starting corner in the fourth round. That's a pretty big hit. Brian Asamoah, I think 
would have been a starter if Ivan Pace didn't explode. And I think they would have been plenty happy with Asamoah as a starter if Pace didn't completely explode. But he did explode, and that's not a problem. That's actually great. And if we're going to evaluate, you know, this staff's ability to evaluate talent, well, Ivan Pace getting that guy in undrafted free agency has to be a really, really, really big part of that. Um, and again, too early to like go take a victory lap on Jordan Addison or anything like that. But hey, he looks pretty good so far for whatever that's worth to you. So evaluating Quasi on just that first draft is incorrect. Evaluating him this early is not a good process. But if you are just going to evaluate that draft, I would say whiffing on your first two picks and then doing okay on the next three probably isn't good enough. Uh, but it's not far from a catastrophe. Gets a lot worse than that for sure. Next one comes from Good Thunder Guy, who says, do you think the improvement in the Vikings running game has more to do with the offensive line play? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, one more thing with Nate's deal. Uh, the, hey, doesn't, didn't we have input from Donatel and whatever? Yeah, so they were drafting to build a Donatel defense. And now Brian Flores is coming in and asks different things from different players, right? And that can advantage some people. Like, I think that's actually good for Lewis Seen. I think Lewis Seen was a weird scheme fit and that made it a weird pick. But now that we're back into the man match cover seven stuff, that is what he knew at Georgia, at least terminology wise. Um, and it's a matter of, you know, there are certain coaching points and different things he still has to learn and pick up. But uh, yeah, there's absolutely something to, they were like building one thing and now they're building another thing. And that gets a little awkward for those guys that were drafted to build the thing we just fired. Um, but also the scouts are different. They cleared out the entire scouting department after the 2022 draft. Um, I think they just wanted the continuity in terms of that. You know, the, the draft is kind of like the Super Bowl for the front office, and that's like where the season sort of ends. It's the most convenient time to get rid of them. Um, I actually, no, it wasn't after the draft. It was like a weird point in the calendar. But either way, a whole bunch of those scouts are gone. So if you're mad at somebody for like misevaluating Andrew Booth, that person is like fairly likely to have been fired. Uh, okay, so Good Thunder Guy says, do you think the improvement in the running game has more to do with the offensive line playing better or the level of the defensive line that they are playing against. Um, man, I wouldn't say that about the Panthers. If, if the Panthers, I mean, look, their roster has a lot of holes on it, but D line ain't one of them. They've got, uh, Brian Burns. They've got Derek Brown. They've, they've got dudes on that D line and the Vikings definitely bullied their dudes. There are some reps of Derek Brown that I don't think he wants out there. <laughs> like that is, that would, I, I was really, really happy with the Vikings O-line versus that D-line in the run game, especially considering strength of competition. That should have been a mismatch the other way. Um, and I, I do think you can kind of tell on this when you watch the tape. You know, if, if you just look in, at production, you kind of have to adjust for strength of opponent. If you watch the tape, you can kind of tell with a trained eye, at least, or a trained-ish eye, which I, I, I hope I have that by now, uh, that like when it's a, just a good play by the D line and when it's just a bad play by the O line, you can kind of tell that play by play. So for my money, I think it's, it's a pretty good D line and the Vikings played better than them, uh, at least against Carolina against the chargers. Then maybe you can make that argument a little bit more. But I also want to give some credit to the running backs, to Alexander Madison and Cam Akers, who uh, King Squeaks actually asks about, says, do you expect to see more from Cam Akers? Uh, do I expect to? Not necessarily. I think we have, a re we have reached the status quo that the Vikings set out when they got Cam Akers. They said, you're going to come in, replace Ty Chandler, we'll get you in for two drives again. I think we saw that against Carolina. Two drives of Cam Akers, the rest of it's Madison. I think that's where we're at. 
it's always subject to change. So I certainly wouldn't be surprised, but I do think that they're at the status quo that that now it is on Cam Akers to like break. But hey, if he becomes the hot hand, yeah, they'll totally ride that. So I think, but I think it'll be more about that than it will be ramping up to a to a greater usage or anything like that. Uh, Jeff L asks, with two games in a row now, with the game on the line and needing to burn clock, the Vikings throw long 30-plus yard sideline routes on third and two. Is there some strategy to those weak calls that I don't understand? So there is strategy to those, absolutely. Um, more of a quarterback call than an OC call, and it's one that I, in most situations, support. Um, those are, I guess you'd call them like pre-snap alerts or site adjusts, uh, depending on what it is, or some people will call them green apple looks. Essentially, the logic goes that in a lot of play calls, Kirk Cousins has an instruction that is, if you see Justin Jefferson one-on-one and you like it, take it. Screw the play, screw the down and distance, screw it all. If you see JJ on a bomb, bomb it to JJ because he's JJ. And I think that that's the philosophy that a lot of fans want, especially when you'll go like a, a dry spell and, and and Justin Jefferson won't be targeted in two or three plays, which makes people freak out. Uh, they go, oh, why aren't we getting it? This is kind of a way to manufacture it to JJ. Like, hey, if they ever leave JJ one-on-one, we're hitting that. We're going deep on it. Screw you. You never, ever, ever get to leave JJ one-on-one. You must double him if you are going to survive against us and it allows us to sort of then game plan accordingly if jj is doubled all game and we can like know that for sure then we can sort of uh plan and predict counter punches to whatever you do when you're not to uh to the people you're not doubling um and if they ever deviate from that plan well we're now we're throwing bombs to jj good luck if we're throwing bombs to jj we're doing pretty good um, and down in distance is just less important than that strategic factor. So it's in a lot of those, but it's ultimately, it's a Kirk Cousins call and it's one that he has to like be confident and make. And yeah, you're going to miss some of them. I'm fully okay with it. The aggression's totally fine to me. Um, got a whole bunch more questions here and I want to make sure that I have time to get to them all. So we're going to rapid fire these, pick up the pace a little bit on the Lockdown Vikings podcast. Buying tickets is a total nightmare. If you want to go to an NFL game, you probably have to plan that like months in advance, unless you're like a season ticket holder or something. It can get really hard to get tickets on a whim or at the last minute for whatever reason. Uh, That is where Game Time comes in. Game Time is an app that gives you last minute tickets, flash deals, and all kinds of great stuff. You can get a picture of your view from that, like in that venue, so you can make sure that you're satisfied with the view, and they've got 110% Game Time guarantee. That means if you get your ticket and uh, then later you find the same row and the same section for a lower price, Game Time will refund you 110%. You'll actually get more money back than that confident that they have the best prices in the game. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off of your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Thanks again to all of you who listen to this show every single day. If you're interested in something a little bit more nitty gritty with some more visuals to it, I direct you to my Patreon page, patreon.com slash NFL. You'll be able to see all of the Panthers recap content right away if you join. And even if you don't, go check back later and you can watch some stuff in hindsight because I usually make that stuff public after a little while anyways. So please join me at patreon.com slash NFL, and I appreciate you all 
greatly. The next question in this Twitter Tuesday mailbag comes from Ryan L., who asks, On the final third down, with the Panthers out of timeouts and, and a Madison run essentially sealing the game, the Vikings lined up Justin Jefferson at the top of the field one-on-one with a corner. Is there a reason for this other than toying with the hearts of Jefferson Yards over betters? Um, yeah, I think that's just kind of a quirk of like the cat-and-mouse game of, of offense and defense, right? So the Vikings came out in that play from 13 personnel, uh, three tight ends. Those three tight ends all line up in line and you just run like duo, I think is what they ran, right? Because you're not really trying to get yards. You're just trying to do a play and not fumble. Um, So if it's 13 personnel, three inline tight ends and a running back that only leaves Justin Jefferson, he's going to get a corner on him no matter what. So you split him out wide so that corner goes and gets out of the play, right? One less guy to account for. That's basically the idea. And if you're the defense, you see Justin Jefferson lined up outside, you put one guy on there, you're not going to put more guys on there. Um, so it looks like this ooh, one-on-one opportunity, but yeah, really it's just a quirk of the fact that everybody else was condensed. Um, and so the defense is going to go condense all but one guy, uh, with the offense. 50 year Vikings fan asks, I noticed Sunday that Ivan Pace Jr. Had the green dot on his helmet and was calling defensive signals. What does this mean for him going forward? And conversely, what does it mean for Jordan Hicks? Um, yeah, seeing a rookie do that is really, really impressive. It's a really hard thing for a rookie to get down, undrafted or not. Um, that's a really cool thing. So good job, Ivan Pace. That's you know this kind of ahead of his um, ahead of schedule thing for him that he's had since camp, right? That he's always sort of been defeating those expectations. Uh, I don't think it means very much for Jordan Hicks at all. Uh, it's just a communicative role. Ivan Pace, it seems like he is the linebacker that's going to be like on the field the most, but it seems like Pace and Hicks are like the two main backers, right? With Brian Osimo coming in in three linebacker sets and to spell the other two guys every once in a while. But Jordan Hicks's role on the team is very clearly defined and um, you're not, you know, replacing him with anybody mid-season. He's, he is in a, uh, the last year of a contract, though, so that'll be an off-season thing to think about, I guess. But I, I don't think the fact that Ivan Pace has the green dot means anything for Jordan Hicks in particular. Mario asks, is there any given metric or stat to measure parity in the league this year versus years past? The Vikings have tough games on the schedule, but games like the Chiefs and Bengals don't seem as intimidating than they did at the beginning of the year. Chiefs allowing a lot of pressures. Bengals have a hobbled Joe Burrow. Um, okay, so... I don't know of like, uh, is, is, does this year have more parity than last year or whatever, but I will point to like correlation coefficients and R squareds and stuff of like typical stats and especially of like win loss records, right? Most of the strength of schedule stuff you see will be win loss records, um, which is a really, really bad way to do it. And if you ever see somebody doing win loss record strength of schedule, it's probably meaningless because of exactly what you're talking about, right? Some teams come out and are just worse than you think. The Bengals are just bad right now, and they just aren't as scary as we thought. So that all that first place schedule stuff that you hear is, for one, compared to the our, our compatriots in the division, we share 14 of 17 games with the Packers, Bears, and Lions, right? 14 of 17 opponents we share with them, all exactly the same. The only difference is that we get first place teams for the other three. But... For those, for the, the Bears, Packers, and Lions, they get two first first place opponents that we don't get, which are the Minnesota Vikings, right? That's the whole point of that is to sort of balance that out. If you are in a division with the Chiefs, you don't have to pay, you don't have to play other first round teams because you have your first place teams because you have to play the first place Chiefs twice. Um, with the 17 game schedule, it's not exactly even anymore, but it's still, it's three games of 17. And then sometimes... 
that first place team can be bad all of a sudden, right? The Jaguars just don't look necessarily as scary as we thought. And if you were a first place team in the AFC that had to play the first place Jaguars, that's just, yeah, it's not that crazy. Um, anyways, correlation coefficients in football are pretty low compared to other statistical fields. Um, in football, if you get an R squared of, of like 0.3 or another way of putting it is this stat explains 30% of the variance in whatever it's measuring. Uh, that's not going to fly on a, on a grad statistical grad thesis, right? You know, an R squared of 0.25, that is not going to be good enough to get you published in uh, an academic journal, but for football, that's pretty good. Um, Football is a pretty crazy random game with all kinds of twists and turns that are difficult to predict. And that's what makes it so intoxicating to me, at least. Uh, So I think the fact that the correlations are so loose famously in football is the parody stat. You know, you just year to year win totals do not correlate just on the whole. You get it's just not that sticky. It's certainly not like there's a whole world of analytics movements trying to find things that are stickier than win loss rates uh, and and like winning percentage and stuff or even like base stats, yards and all that stuff. Uh, It's just not sticky. And that's because things go different for uh, one team or the next. Seth asks, what's the deal with the ineligible man downfield rule? Uh, I hadn't seen the all 22, but the Vikings ran a screenplay and Schlopman was too far down the field. We got called for it. Like three plays later, they run a screen and it looks similar, not called. So the rule itself, like by the letter of the law is you have one yard of cushion from the line of scrimmage as an offensive lineman. If you are past one yard when the ball is thrown, uh, you are ineligible downfield. And and you get a penalty for that. With screens, it becomes more about time because offensive linemen cannot look behind them to see if the ball is thrown or not. They just have to trust that that ball got out when it was supposed to. So if it is too slow of a screen and the ball gets thrown, those offensive linemen may have already taken off. That's what's going to cause those ineligibles downfield. And that might be what you saw. Now, I I just got through the offensive all 22. I remember both of those screens and what you're talking about. And I don't remember looking at the second one and thinking, oh, that also should have been ineligible. So for whatever reason, you're seeing that differently than I am, which is fine. Um, But my guess would be that it's about um, how late Austin Schlopman gets across the line of scrimmage or the ball being thrown faster to the point where it doesn't get called. And the other thing about ineligible downfield is that refs will give you kind of a lot of grace. Um, you'll see guys two, three yards downfield and it's like, they won't get called like whatever. And the other thing is in pass blocking, I believe it's okay. If you just sled a guy that far, uh, like if you're actively blocking someone, they're going to give you a little bit more grace. I don't know if that's official or if that's just kind of uh, an instruction the refs get to be more forgiving. But there's kind of a subjectivity in that, although in the last couple of years, they've cracked down on it a little bit more. Uh, Tyler Spence says, at what point do we consider Addison's lack of blocking a problem? He almost got JJ killed and seems to be keeping him off the field. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, It's been a problem since the draft. I mean, that was like one of the first things you notice from his USC tape is like, oh, man, this dude gets killed in blocking and he gets 
stopped up by physical coverage too, which maybe is a bigger part of the problem. But a lack of physicality is sort of the drawback of Jordan Addison, and it's why he went 23rd instead of third, uh, you know, or instead of being a top 10 guy, right? Like that is the main detraction of Jordan Addison that made him the fourth wide out off the board instead of the first one. Um, so at what point do we consider it a problem? Of course it's a problem. It's one that is very clearly worth it, uh, but that's always been the package, and I think uh, the Vikings knew that that's what they were getting into. F3Z asks, can we talk about how badly Donatel mismanaged our safeties after Hitman's monster game and Bynum currently leading the league in tackles in his position? Uh, look, I don't want to, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, man. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, it was crazy, right? That was, uh, we've, we've spoken about that ad nauseum. Great to see Harrison Smith getting blitzed more. In fact, I believe he is, uh, or at least was last week, the most pass rush heavy safety out there or, or I think uh, year to date he has had the most pass rushing snaps and second most is Josh Metellus so this is where we live now we went to the other side of the spectrum and it's pretty fun totally agree uh and Cam Bynum yeah he leads the league in tackles and I think somebody else asked like what is that about uh like that he leads the league in tackles and everybody else's linebackers what's up with that and um yeah, that's pretty cool. That is sort of a facet of the defense that is just going to be more about safeties filling sometimes because they do box fits, um, which is kind of contain and move everything to the inside. But sometimes you're gapped out uh, or you're not gapped out, which means that there is an open gap that nobody is responsible for that the running back can find and run through. And in that case, it becomes the free safety's responsibility. That has happened a lot, and Bynum's done a great job of limiting the yardage in those situations. Um, that's part of his job is to make it, hey, you found the gap, good job, but I have to make it so that's only a five-yard gain instead of a 10-yard gain. We got more questions coming up, including some Swifty stuff. So, you know, Swifties, get in here. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. If you are new to the NFL, perhaps, you know, you've got a reason to get into it that you didn't have before, that wasn't relevant to you before. I don't know, maybe people want to research the Vikings for the first time in their life. Uh, come join FanDuel. It's America's number one sportsbook for a reason. It's safe, it's secure, it's super easy to use. And they pay you out instantly when you when you win, and they've got all kinds of bets from spreads, over-unders, including stuff like player props, touchdown props, um, and all kinds of weird like Taylor Swift props too that are kind of fun. If you want to get like a Super Bowl, what will they wear for the halftime show kind of vibe. Uh, that's always really fun, like Super Bowl week. We can do that, I guess, too, with some of these games. And if you're new, you get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's any $5 bet. If you are new, you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn, sign up through that URL, make any $5 bet, and whether that bet wins or loses, you get $200 back in bonus bets. So go get that free grambling money at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Let's wrap this thing out. It's Twitter Tuesday on the Locked On Vikings podcast. Got a few more questions. The next one comes from Minnesota Sports Appreciator, who asks, on third down slash passing downs, it seems like our personnel on D is four edge rushers, six DBs, and then a fast linebacker. Is this normal in today's NFL, or is Brian Flores just a ruthless speed monster? Yeah, Flores is a completely unhinged lunatic. This is not normal at all. Uh, I think it is super dope. Um, eventually a team is going to run a draw play on third and 17 
and they that might punish but also that we might be better suited to handle that because at, at that point once you're into the second level on a third and 17 and you know you're just trying to make it so they don't convert it's more of a speed question than it is one of physical bulk right they're not it's like they're not lining up and running duo and getting their five yards and being happy right um but yeah it's a completely unhinged thing to do most teams will want their nose tackle out there because, you know, hey, our Linval Joseph is just going to be a better option than, you know, our our Audi Cole or whatever, or our Michael Mowdy, um, to use some vintage names. That, like, that's going to be the logic more often is that we just trust that guy on the field more than, you know, linebacker number five or whatever, or DB number six. Uh, but the Flores doesn't feel that way. And I definitely get the point of it, right? What do we need bulk for? This ain't a running down. You're passing, baby. Let's get all of our speed out on the field. Uh, but it is certainly not normal. It's something that I think you only see from Bill Belichick. I think he's the only other person doing anything like that. I don't know if there's even like Todd Bowles, who runs some pretty unorthodox stuff, or or Lou uh, Aranumo. Aranumo? I always forget how, how to say it. He does some interesting pressure package stuff, but they don't do that. <laughs> this is a pretty unhinged thing. Uh, Shadow Flame has a question about the Chiefs. Says, it seems like it's a one-man show weapon-wise. Do you think we could take away Kelsey like many teams do JJ? So is it a one-man show weapon-wise? Yeah, yeah, they've got Kadarius Tony. They've got like Rasheed Rice. Like they have, they've got Marquez, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. They've got a lot of weapons that are like there for a specific reason, right? Like MVS goes deep and Kadarius Tony does gadget things and they've got like running backs for different situations. Isaiah Pacheco seems to be super like really coming around, coming into his own as a, he's a second year guy, right? Um, So they've got a lot of weapons. I think the answer to your question is how do we take away Kelsey like other teams do JJ? The Vikings answer to that question is one double. Um, So it's cover one, double 87. That would be the call. One double 87. Uh, so man to man across the board, but you put two guys man to man on, uh, Travis Kelsey. And usually that means it's going to be a, a, a vertical bracket an underneath guy and, an, and, and then a free safety over the top. Um, and then they'll follow him around wherever you go. That'll take Travis Kelsey away no matter what. And then you've got to make things go through the other, uh, through the other skill players. And then hopefully you still have enough players left over. Like if they keep guys in for protection where you can still do stunts and, and try to get a little bit fancy with the pass rush to try to create pressure, uh, and then take away Mahomes's favorite outlet. That would probably be the, uh, the kind of bog standard approach to the Kansas city chiefs. Linwood asks, are there any ways to help get push up front that's not personnel changes? Any new ways to stack the box out of our multiple D? I mean, yeah, you can make like package adjustments. You can, you know, I mean, I guess it is kind of a personnel thing, but activate all three of your uh, big nose tackles, right? Phillips, Tonga, and Bull or, and um, Jaquel and Roy. Both of those, or all three of those guys have not been active yet. There's always one on the inactive list, so they only use two of them. So get all three of those guys on the field at the same time, right? I don't think there's a... A, a way to scheme muscle <laughs> yeah, like you can't really do like scheme strength but flattening out fronts and doing stuff like penny front which is what the vikings lived in a lot against carolina and did a great job against the run um that's five guys on the line of scrimmage and only one linebacker off the ball is gonna make it so that most zone runs won't have as many double teams and then you don't need as much uh, muscle, but you still have to win those one-on-ones i do think that the answer to the run game is get stronger guys out there 
Uh, and that might not be something that the Vikings can really make any meaningful progress toward until after the season. They might just be in this world where we're a light defense and we got to deal with it. Chris says rate Kirk's tackle effort on the pick six. The angle he took looked pretty good. Uh, yeah, man, 10 out of 10 on the effort. Are you kidding me, man? That he was humping it. He was booking. Let's go. That was absolutely a big time effort play. Uh, yeah, he got kind of blown up by some, by, you know, a defender that gets a free shot on the quarterback. He's of course going to take that, but Hey, effort was great. Yeah. And it was a pretty good angle. There just, there was another blocker, uh, big shame. Ingram's left arm says, what can the Vikings do to repel the NFL's Swifty agenda? Is this game lost due to the NFL script? Swifties don't deal, deal well with heartbreak and they only know winning. Okay, I might take issue with that last part. The Swifties deal with only heartbreak. That's like the whole ethos is dealing with heartbreak. That is the subject of like half of Taylor Swift's discography. <laughs> uh, so um, if the... Swifties are challenging the NFL to rig the game in the favor of the Chiefs for Taylor Swift. I think what we need to do is force that breakup, right? And then the NFL script will go back into our favor. So we need to find the most problematic moments of Travis Kelsey, although ah, that hasn't really bothered Taylor Swift in the past, to be honest with you. Uh, so we need to find some way to, to really like facilitate that breakup. We, we need to get somebody to, to tempt Travis Kelsey or Taylor Swift so that we can really make this one of those two week relationships that just gets one song on the B side of the album. And then we move on from this. So that way the Swifties can start, you know, game planning ways to sabotage the chiefs instead of rooting for the chiefs and buying 87 jerseys. We need to sabotage this and that can only happen with a grassroots movement. You all know what to do. Uh, Gore Brutal asks, who would do a better job running an NFL franchise, the average Chicago Bears fan or one of my rabbits? Dude, of course it's the rabbits. What kind of question is that? Uh, <laughs> thanks for hanging out on the Locked On Vikings podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with some more serious film analysis stuff, and then we'll start talking about the Chiefs with, with uh, Ryan Tracy and Locked On Chiefs and moving on for the rest of the week there. I'll see you all tomorrow, and as always, skull.